the Fan Morning Show. 4759 The Fan. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Uh, so starts a very interesting week in the city mm-hmm. of Toronto. So You're going to we'll be okay? We'll Just start. checking in on you. Yeah, no, I'm going to be fine. Uh, we'll start the program with the Leafs, mm-hmm. and we'll do lots of Leafs today, but the mm-hmm. Leafs don't play again until Thursday of mm-hmm. this week when they got an all-Ontario affair against the Ottawa Senators yeah. in Ottawa. Yes. And starting today in Nashville mm-hmm. is the Major League Baseball winter meetings where it feels like, and I, I put out a Twitter poll yesterday, mm. I think that Shohei Otani is going to sign in the first half of this week. Okay. Does feel like we're headed towards a decision. John Morosi saying as much that by the end of this week, we could, well, actually, you know what? What do we have first? A Shohei Otani decision or a John Klingberg certainty? Ooh, that is good. Uh, I think... I think, I think we get Shohei Otani. I do. I know we were supposed to get certainty on Klingberg last week, and that would lead you to believe that that's got to be imminent, but I don't know. I didn't hear any scuttlebutt over the weekend. Uh, 32 thoughts happened during the second intermission of that Saturday night Leafs game, and there wasn't an overarching theme of, don't worry, that'll all be taken care of. It does seem to still be trending the way everyone thinks, but I think the Leafs are really being careful. So, yeah, I do think... I think we get a Shohei signing. Also, I I don't know that I like the tone you took uh, off the top of the show. I feel like you talk to me a little bit like I talk to my child when he gets to watch like one show now, but it's going to be a while until he gets to watch the show again. You're like, we're going to talk Leafs. Yeah. And then they're going to go away for a little while and they're yeah, going to come they're back on Thursday. They're, they're clearing out. It's actually a well-timed. And the Raptors play on Wednesday as well. But they're and both Toronto sports teams that are in action this uh, season of uh, the calendar yes. are taking some time off mm-hmm. to clear out for what could be again. I, we're going to save this for the back half of the yeah. hour. This this feels like well, one that this is maybe one of the most important off seasons in the history of this franchise. But this might be the most important off season week in the history of the Toronto Blue Jays. Anyways, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, you don't want to spoil it. I'm yeah. We'll, we're just dipping our toe into the waters. Uh, it's we'll like talk a French to, dip, just letting you know. We'll, we'll talk to Jeff Blair before the end of the show as well. Let's start with the Toronto Maple Leafs, who you're never going to believe it, played uh, another overtime game. Didn't mm. get all the way to a shootout. Uh, of course, their one shootout loss coming to the Boston Bruins earlier mm-hmm. this season. Uh, they lose in overtime, but salvage the point as Austin Matthews scores his second goal of the game with five seconds left. An Austin Matthews mm. that was spurred on by Sheldon Keefe's Pointed uh, comments toward him before the game where he said, um, Matthews, this is Keefon Matthews. He's got to do better. No. Don't, don't, f- I mean, oh my goodness, how did Austin survive being waylaid with criticism like that? He's got to do better. Don't focus on the end result or get concerned with the, uh, anything other than doing the things that allow us to have success uh, individually and for us as a team. Most importantly, after. Receiving that pointed criticism, Austin Matthews stepped onto the ice and scored his first five-on-five goal in, what, nine games. Uh, again, leading the Leafs to a single point against the Boston Bruins, but one of their their better, more concerted 60-plus minute efforts of the season. Yeah, it certainly was. Uh, who said it? Sheldon Kiefer or Iron Mike Keenan? Impossible impossible to say uh, based on that pointed criticism. Yeah, you, you like the Leafs game. Like, I don't, the, I don't want to sit here and be overly... 
you know, heaping praise on them, even though I think that's what they deserve because it's, it's, we've talked about this a million times that this team is kind of out of the moral victory stage of where things should be at. But having said all that, they were the better team against Boston. They went to the crapshoot that is overtime and they lost that one. I look at it as, you know, we would be having a very different conversation if Matthews doesn't find the back of the net with five seconds left in the game. But, you know, I still think we'd be sitting here talking about a, a pretty strong Leafs effort. There were a few moments you didn't like, like a hated Nylander on the uh, second Boston goal, the one that Pasternak gets credited with the incredible assist on. Like, I hated Nylander on that play. But, you know, I don't want to sit here and and go back to, like, we're having 2017 Nylander conversations all over again. But I think the prevailing takeaway from that game has to be that, yeah, it was a really solid hockey game played by two great teams. And if you think Boston is upper echelon in the league, and I think most people do, although they did stub their toe a little bit this week heading into the Toronto matchup, then all that that game should do is make you say, yep, the Leafs are certainly capable of playing in that neighborhood too. Yeah, I think what it it reminded us, not that maybe all of us needed reminding, we've seen it multiple times this season, when the Leafs get their backs up against the wall, when they have a clear target in front of them, when they have a reason to get up for a regular season game, they're capable of doing so. Yep. I would also like, I, I'm kind of moving towards the idea that considering some of the names on the back of the jerseys on this blue line, mm. That Simon Benoit and William Lagason and like Loggerson. Connor, yeah, Loggerson, <laughs> Kelly Arncrook, um, and and Connor Timmins, these guys are all lag are, are logging close to twenty minutes a game, and um, and and are yeah, that's fifty percent of the blue line Maple Leafs are trotting out right now, and and Jake McCabe asked to take on a bigger yeah. role, and boy, Morgan Riley and T.J. Brody are are, are playing big time minutes. That, you know, each and every point that you pick up, especially against good opposition, which the Boston Bruins clearly are, that is impressive considering what the Leafs have to deal with on their blue line right now. Yeah, I mean, I think I think people are out of two minds of it, right? Because I think on one hand, you do have to give them credit. The fact that they have three non-regular blue liners in the lineup on a regular basis, that nobody should be, do, should be looking at that as anything other than impressive, that they've been able to pick up points with them. But I think the reason people are a little hesitant to get overextended in that opinion is because of who's sitting there waiting when you come back. This isn't like last year when yeah. it was Brody and Mo who went out at various times and you went, Oh, they're going to get their first or second best defenseman back when this all figures itself out. It's like, you know, Timothy Lilligren is a guy who I think, depending on the week, people have different opinions on, depending on, you know, the steps you think he can take. You think he's maybe more of an important piece, but look at who's coming back. It's Timothy Lilligren. It's, it's Mark Giordano. Like these are not guys that are completely resetting things or revamping this blue line. So you, you do have to give them credit, but I also think that it's, it's going to get better when those guys get back in, because there's a reason that all the guys playing now are, you know, and Tim and throw Timmons in there as well, or seven, eight, nine defensemen on this team. There's a reason for that, but I don't know that there's a big, big gap between the guy who is the fifth defenseman on this team and the guy who's the eighth. No, I agree a hundred percent, but that, I mean, yeah. So I think the conversation's kind of similar with those guys in the lineup. Like, mm-hmm. isn't it incredible? That the Leafs keep racking up points with Timothy Lilligren yeah. as a top four defenseman. Mm-hmm. I mean, the point is that, Boy, and I, I guess prove me wrong, Brad for living, but yep. that this blue line is gonna over, is gonna undergo a major overhaul at the trade deadline in February. So yeah, any time that you can keep stacking up points, despite the fact they're still they're holding strong on five regulation wins. Yep, 
Um, and maybe we can have the conversation about what Luke Fox wrote about on Sportsnet.ca. Yeah, that was that, interesting. That, that there's like almost a whole nother game of overtime mm-hmm. games that the Maple Leafs have played here now through 20 plus games this season. But yeah, that okay. The blue line is what what did uh, Bradford Living call it uh, before the season? It was like, oh, it's underrated or it's a yeah. work in progress. Yeah, oh, it's very much a work in yes. progress. It's going to be a work in progress until some massive moves are made. Uh, assuming that they will be made before the trade deadline. So it, it, I, the Bruins don't have as much work to do on no. the blue line. When you can outplay them for, I, I was going to say 60-plus minutes, yeah. but the overtime was mostly the Bruins. Oh, no, Boston carried the well, play. They had 11 sure. shots yeah. in <laughs> Not four good. and a half minutes. Yeah. But whatever, they got the point. Anytime that you can escape with a point against teams that are a more finished version of themselves, Closer to what we're going to see from them in the postseason, that that does feel like a win because yeah, yep. th- I think everybody has the same opinion mm-hmm. of the defense core on this Leafs team that it needs uh, it needs major improvements if there's a, a legitimate hope of of multiple rounds uh, and getting through them in the postseason. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting with hockey, right? Because we've talked to, we've talked on the show a million times about the idea of analytics, and you know every sport is different in the way they they get used. There is yet to be a Leaf game. I mean, maybe I've missed one or two, but there is yet to be a Leaf game that he's played in this year that Connor Timmins, according to the fancy stats, yeah. is not not only the best player in that game, yeah. like one of the greatest players of all time. He every single time. Go ahead, pick your metric, whether it's like game score, which the guys at the Athletic use, if you just want your like expected goals, your Corsi for, it doesn't really matter. He pretty, pretty consistently is, again, not... Not one of the better players, usually the Leafs' best player in that. Now, part of that is a player style that is maybe a little conducive to gaming that stuff. Like, I don't think anybody looks at that, and I'm certainly not saying that Connor Timmins is the Leafs' best defenseman. Far, far from it. I see everything you all see, too. But that's the thing that I'd be, you know, I, I think with Dubis, we all kind of thought of him as more of a guy you know, bent that way. I'm very curious. I like of all the truth serum questions you could ask Brad for living. There, there are bigger fish to fry than what do you actually think of Connor Timmons? But you know, analytics, you know, he's seeing the same stuff we're seeing. They yeah. have even better numbers that maybe highlight some of the things Timmons does poorly that, that bring some of this stuff back down to earth. But every time I think of this least blue line, that is the thing that keeps jumping ahead to me because it is just, again, go look at, pick your fancy stat. The metric almost doesn't matter because Connor Timmons has been dominating in that regard. And I, I want to be clear. This is not me saying Connor Timmons is a dominant defenseman. No, I think he's a five, six, two. Okay. Just so we're all clear about that, uh-huh. but it is, well, we're going to have these conversations about, you know, changing the blue line in different mixes. I think that one of these guys, be it a Loggerson, be it, you know, I don't think it's going to be Benoit, but be it a Timmons, they're not going to be able to replace the entire That's bottom bottom half of the blue line here. And one of these guys is going to stick. And I think it's going to be like, hey, some nights Timmons is the guy that makes sense. More nights than not, and Loggerson is the guy. I want in there because I do like what he provides, but it's just while we talk about this blue line, it it is so jarring because it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter the game. It doesn't matter the game. He is always this guy when it comes to the fancy stats. Brent, you don't need six defensemen. Mm. You need seven, eight, nine nine defensemen when it comes to the postseason. Here's what I feel comfortable saying. LeBron had it right. Not NBA titles, (laughs) but defensemen you need to win one Lord Stanley's mug. Not six. Yeah, he walked into Bill Zito's office, and he's like, not seven, not eight, not nine. (laughs) Ten, 12, 20. Make your whole team out of it. Nothing but defensemen. 
Yeah, but the point is correct that, yeah, I mean, we're seeing it already this season. Like, during the regular season, there's attrition. Uh, in the postseason, there's going to be more so. But here's what I feel comfortable in saying. The Maple Leafs and circumstances allowed them to do so. Mm-hmm. There was a real question about their ability to keep Connor Timmons at the beginning of the season. For sure. Like, that that has proven to be a nice little bit of business. Yeah. Um, that Connor Timmons was not exposed to waivers, uh, ineligible to go down to the Marlies. That mm-hmm. yeah, he, at least he's an intriguing player. Like yeah. there's a possibility that this is actually, and what is he, 25 years old? Yeah, he's still like, he is in the window where you can talk yourself into there being more there. I yeah. don't think there is. Just yeah. so we're, like I cannot hammer this home point enough. I, mean, I don't I don't want somebody to hear four minutes of this and go, Gunning was trying to give I, him the Norris. I, but he could be a Sam Lafferty somewhere else, sure. right? That's a great, that is, that is actually a wonderful comp, a guy who, if you just see this or Eric Gustafson, right? Like mm-hmm. I think Eric Gustafson, obviously a way better player, but you see the counting stats. Uh, I like that. I, I did want to bring up the, I don't think it's the main thing from the game, but I'd be lying if I didn't think about it. The response or lack thereof to Brad Marchand. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of talk, not actually that much heading into it, but coming out of the last Boston game that ah, they got to show something. They got to da, da, da. I remember making the point about it was Florida who a couple weeks ago, Charlie McAvoy, he had the headshot on Ekman Larson and they said, "Mm, we're just going to run him three, four or five times in the game. And that's all that needs to happen. I would have taken that. I understand you got bigger fish to fry. You got to win the game, take care of your business. But I'd be lying if I wasn't frustrated by the lack of anything regarding Brad Marchand. Someone can't yell at him. Someone can't get in his face. And maybe the argument is that, oh, no, no, let him sleep. That only makes him stronger. The Greg Popovich, like, oh, don't poke the bear. I mean, he's the overtime winner in his next game. The next day, he had a hat trick. He seemed fine. I I mean, what bothers me as well is that he's very good at, like, at the the media side of this as well. Like, Ryan Reeves is doing his best. And, you know, he was self-deprecating. Oh, he... Talks about how much more money he makes than mm. me. And it's it stinks because Reeves had the first go of it and didn't have a chance to respond to the response. But, yeah, Brad Marchand saying, yeah, I said that, like, many years ago. Yes. Obviously, he's holding on to it. It's like, oh, that's a yeah. good one. That's a really good one. Well, and I don't know. Like, feel free to tell me, oh, stop it. You're the worst uh, with this. Stop it. You're the worst. Okay. Oh, wait, sorry. Let me give go. the opinion. And if you feel that, feel free to say it. Is I don't think this is what happened, but it did feel a little bit like Ryan Reeves took the run at Poitras because mm. Ryan Reeves isn't going to catch up to Brad Marchand to go <laughs> do anything about it. So, hey, like, they, like uh. that's a tale as old as time. If I'm going to take a run at your young kid, and the official said, no, you're not. And was that roughing charge board pick one? I don't care. Sure. But it is remarkable that after that moment in the hockey game, not a single infraction was committed it's amazing mm. i could have swore i saw jake mccabe Two penalties called in the entire yeah, game i, I could have swore i saw jake mccabe and a guy on boston cross-check each other like nope. in the throat right in front of no the, you didn't official. you only thought you saw that i only thought okay ai it's incredible what it can do these days but i i don't know i saw that and i said that to me said no 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 there's no running around there's no being silly we're gonna we're gonna penalize that and then again Nothing else. And I didn't have an issue with the whistle. Like, I liked that they were allowed to play. I didn't think it was egregious on one side or another, except that moment to me did feel like, no, 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 there's no settling scores. Every other team in the league, every other team in the league is allowed to punch a guy after a scrum or throw somebody's in the face. It's a different sport when the Leafs play. It really does. Everyone gets on me and they're like, oh, you love to complain about refs all the time. But I genuinely wonder if my eyes work with what I see. 
it's it's just I mean the officiating is one part of it, but yeah, the the minutia that we get into, the detail uh, at which level we pour over these Leaf games, like the conversations around this team, and yeah, we're a part of it. Yeah, but I I, I think we uh, very guilty. We we feed. The beast, as far as what the fans yeah. want. They want to hear more Leafs, more Leafs, yes. more Leafs. We polled our yeah. listeners, and they say more Leafs. But I it's just game that poll. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing how, yeah, conversations around this team and games that, that happen between this, this team and other, like, the, it, it wears off on the other team as well, right? If you're playing the Toronto Maple Leafs, you become part of it. It's just, it is a very different sport than what happens on a nightly basis around the rest of this league. And I got to read this quote from Marshawn, because if I have to be this angry, so do the rest of you. And the worst part is, is that this quote could have come before or after the game, honestly, because he knew how the game was going to play out. There wasn't a response because it wasn't a bad play. It was just one of those things that happens fast in the game. You get tied up, you try to battle for puck position, and things happen. Their coach is being emotional and trying to get them to be there for one another and compete, and they try to do that. You know, he, in his heart, knows. They, that team, Boston, they don't care whether it was a dirty play, whether it looked that way. This goes back to the whole litigation we had of it the first time, of the idea of it doesn't matter if it was accidental or not. Just get mad. Can it please be in your DNA that way? And, you know, they'll sit there and point to the scoreboard and only at the end of regulation, though. They wouldn't want to point to it after after the extra frame there. But And say, look, we took care of business. We showed we can hang with this, yada, yada. Guess what? You can you can walk and chew gum at the same time, and maybe it's harder for this team than it is for others to get their revenge or you know have their comeuppance and get their two points or one point. But I, I'd be lying if it didn't frustrate me. It's far from the biggest thing. I would much rather they get a point than go chasing this revenge that just mm-hmm. ends up spurning Boston on. Like there's a way that it plays out that way. But I'd be lying if I said I wasn't I wasn't frustrated watching that on Saturday night. Yeah, that's kind of kind of the deal. With the, with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And unless you're playing a, a Vancouver Canucks team, well, that you can take a couple of instigators against. And it's like, is it because Gio's not there? Like, they missed him? Like, mm. uh, like I'm half joking, but I'm not. Like, he was the he was the first one to jump in. And now in Max Domi. Domi's scored a goal, so, so he, doesn't he doesn't have need to, to do fight that. anymore. Yeah. Like, doing the bad, oh, your ball <laughs> to Sam Bennett, which I did love, by the way. I don't know that we gave that its proper due. I thoroughly enjoyed that. Okay, a couple more uh, things on this, on this uh, Leafs team. Okay. We, we started with Matthews. We, we sc- scratched the surface of it. He scored a couple of goals. He's now one back of Brock Besser for the NHL League. He's almost on pace for 60 goals yet yeah. again. I was thinking about you on Saturday night when we were having the Friday conversation. Like, why doesn't he? Well, because of that. That's why. And it's like, I know you know the two-goal game is lurking. But whenever yeah. we have the conversation, I, like, uh, does it feel like Matthews doesn't get his share well, of the... But, you watch your tone! You know, and he scored the goal and played one of his best just like start-to-finish games of the season. In an overall sense, is he having a great, great season? I mean, yeah, mm. like Saturday was a great, great game, and he's yeah. capable of those games. We For all sure. know that. Like, so maybe take it back before Saturday's game. Like, how much did he need that game? Was he having a great season no. despite the, the counting stats being there? No, he was having for him a expected season. Like, that is what it looks like. You kind of expect him, if he's going to play in roughly all of the games, that he's going to be top five, top seven in goals. That's kind of the floor for where he's put himself. Like, expectations are a hell of a thing. But guess what? That's also what got you the 13 mil or whatever the deal's going to be when it when it kicks in last year. There has been a lack of consistency from Matthews that just hasn't been there in years past. But I think that's why... 
That's why there isn't the constant criticism is because that game is always lurking. And it's not just the two goals. It's that game, the complete 60 minutes, winning battles, being great in the dot, all of all of that stuff that you see from Matthews on a regular basis or you expect to see from Matthews on a regular basis, which quite frankly hasn't been here. And, you know, if we're just going to do it as your your value is, your cap hit, it's like he's done it to the level of a $9.5 million guy, not a $13 million guy this year is kind of my opinion on the matter. Out, again, outside of the counting stats, like I've liked his game, but when you're paid the highest paid, when you're the highest paid guy in the league, the expectations aren't for me to like your game. It's to love it every single night. So I understand why people have been kind of looking and the criticism has been tepid, but it's been fair. And I think that it's just like, yeah, the way Marner, Marner definitely needed his Marner game more than Matthews needed this, but we were getting to a point where Matthews needed to have one of these for sure. Yeah. And it does feel like he, he, I know he was involved. He like when when Sheldon Keith criticized all the best players last year after the Coyotes game, he he walked it back. Mm-hmm. But I think we did, and I think history would pr- prove us yes. correct that that was more walking him back for Mitch Marner's sake because right. he was pointed in a Mitch Marner criticism mm-hmm. before the game, and then specifically also Mitch Marner didn't have a great game in that game. He walked it back specifically. Mm-hmm. On on Mitch Marner's behalf, talking yep. about us needing to back off the the criticism mm-hmm. of Mitch Marner. I wonder if it's different if Austin Matthews doesn't have the two goal ga- game and mm-hmm. the spectacular sixty minute performance. But it does feel like Austin Matthews is n- not the type of guy that that needs to have those comments walk back. That he's perfectly com- uh, confident in himself. It's okay. You can be harsh on him. Yep. And you know what? He'll respond with one of his best 60-plus-minute performances of the season. Yeah, I also think it's interesting maybe that you can criticize Matthews a little more pointedly when Marner's not riding shotgun because it's not a, like, there's not a ricochet criticism going to him. And, you know, I know some people are going to roll their eyes and go, oh, my God, you can't criticize Mitch Marner. No, you, you can, and I can. But we also, again, it goes back to the conversations I had about him last week all, all throughout the entirety of his career of, you know, we, we can sit here and do the fan fiction of, oh, God, if only Lou was still here. And he just looked at him and said, be harder, be more of a man, go mm-hmm. out there and play. I don't think that's good, what's going to motivate him. I really think he is much more of a carrot than a stick guy. Nylander has said, I need the stick every once in a while. Like, you need to you need to bench me. You need to take me off PP1. You need to put me on a line that shows me that I'm not giving you what I want. He's been open about that to Sheldon Keefe, and then they both have been open about that to us. We haven't even heard from Mitch Marner because... Boy, what would the news cycle be if we heard, I actually need to be praised to play my best hockey. Give me we're, candy. Yeah, we're never going to hear that, but... Just, Don't take my candy away. Just give me... Just give me more candy. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, my kids very much respond to like, hey, no candy. Mm, um, he, he actively needs more candy. Yeah. yeah. It's like, is there a power play zero I could go on? <laughs> what if, what if, hear me out, you just put me out there. <laughs> <laughs> the so that's the thing I look at is that I do wonder also if you can be a little more direct in your criticism of Matthews if it's not seen as a criticism of Marner when they're not tied at the hip just in terms of playing together I do wonder if there's some some element to that as well because I think you're right like mm-hmm. I think there's no point in criticizing Tavares it's like you can you can oh, you can sit there with yeah. video and say do this better and he'll go <laughs> understand but there's not gonna there's no point in like I'm gonna offer criticism of you outside of that because he okay I was gonna sure. suggest him as the next guy guy that's in the crosshair is an act. Okay, well, go yeah. ahead. No, no, offend John Tavares. Go. Upset no, not him. not offend. No, but, but yeah. just like get him get him worked up and exercised. Go. Yeah, two goals in his last oh, 13. Oh, here I can do it. I can do it. I'm on his team. 
I had some full fat olive oil yeah. uh, while I was cooking the other day. Ah, disgusting. Yeah. Like I, there's something to the fact, but Tavares, he's been like Tavares, the money and the flat cap, it really mm-hmm. changed it. But just like go pull up the hockey DP page and no one would ever say a bad word about that contract. I understand like mm-hmm. the flat cap ruined it and the fact that he had to like, we have to talk about it in that way, but yeah, I suppose he'd be next up, but okay. Good luck. You go get something out of that guy. I, I'd be, I'd be floored if you could do it. Cause you no, can't. No, you're right. He's, uh, he's the same guy day in, day out. Um, I heard someone said a bad thing about Oakville, and he'd yeah. go, mm, "Don't like that, but I better <laughs> focus on my job." Uh, Joseph Wall doing a good job focusing mm-hmm. on his job. He's Very good. The unquestioned Brack. number one on this team. Uh, at last check, now after Saturday's performance. He's 14th in the, in the uh, National Hockey League with a 9-14 save percentage. He is right ahead of mm. Ilya Sorokin, Sergei Bobrovsky. Those are guys. And Connor Hellebuck. Those are all guys. Uh, Leafs dipped a little below the league average as far as save percentage. They're 902. Mm. League average 903. Okay. But yeah, there's just no debate. And I know Samsonov's sick over the weekend. Yeah. And um, they're not going to play a game for 100 years because why would the Leafs ever, you know, just get on a run of scheduled hockey? But yeah, Samsonov needs you know, to that. get back in there at some point. There was a back-to-back coming up in a couple Monday, of games. Monday, Tuesday, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he's, he's going to play in the next couple of weeks. But we're at a point now where, I mean, for the second time this season, it feels like... Uh, Joseph Wall has emerged as the number one guy. Samsonov has been back in there and, and you know, had opportunities to have uh, multiple starts in a row, mm-hmm. and including the first two games of the season. But yeah. Joseph Wall has had the majority of these strong runs uh, this season. He's in one right now. Yeah, he has definitely been the guy who's ha- who's felt like if any goalie has had any semblance of a hot hand at any time this season, he has been the one who's who's had it. This is where... You know, I I made my complaint about the schedule after the Vancouver game and they took a week off. I'm going to make it again now. You finally got a goaltender going and, you know, I understand that maybe the team as a whole could benefit from some time off with all the extra games they've played here. But you finally got a goalie going and now your choices are keep him going and start him on Thursday and allow Ilya Samsonov to sit and rot for more than a week here or... You can go back to Samsonov when he's back, which feels insane given the way Joe Wall has played. So just the schedule, doing this team no favors. To your point, like they're going to have a back-to-back. It's not Monday, Tuesday as in today, tomorrow, but next Monday, Tuesday, I'm pretty sure they have the the back-to-back there. They have the week of the 11th. They play four games in the week. Like they're going to need both of these guys here, but it would be like you'd love to give a chance to get Joe Wall back in there before Thursday because, yeah, he's definitely found it here. I think we're all... I think we're all, you know what? I I kind of I, I kind of was thinking about this a little, and you know where I think we're the place we're at with Joe Wall and the place we're at with Matthew Nyes are actually pretty similar. In that, even when you don't love the game from the player, they're rarely killing you. Yeah. Like it is rarely a like you just couldn't win tonight because, and obviously a forward and a goalie. I understand they're different, but it's just young player expectations that you look at that guy and you, if we're going to talk about Matthew Nines, like, yeah, he can have the two goal night in Tampa or he can look strong as an ox and mm-hmm. Joe wall can put up 36, 37 saves and look great. And 
Guess what? He can also have the game on potentially Thursday when he hasn't played in five days against a Sens team that always seems to play like it's their Stanley Cup final against the Leafs. It's like it's entirely possible he stubs his toe in that one. Like I think Joe Wall is a young player kind of finding it. And as much I as much as I would love to tell myself that ah, this is it, he's really starting to find it. I think we're going to have two or three more of these mini runs before if you get it this year where he really, really grabs hold of the net. Like, I, I still expect Samsonov to kind of buck his head one or two more times. Yeah, no, we're going to see Ilya Samsonov. We'll see both. And, yeah, it's a, this is a nice time to to be on a hot streak. I think what you want to be is on a hot streak at the end of the regular season going into Agreed. the postseason. Agreed. I where, would prefer that. I mean, it's still – we're still – at least I am – not convinced who the game one starter is going to be going into the postseason. Right? Like, if it was – if the postseason started tomorrow, it's obviously Joseph Wall, but that's that's what I'm saying. Like, I, as the season progresses, by the time we get to game 82 – Whoever is having mm-hmm. the Joe Wall type run at that point gets the start in game one. I agree with you, but the the caveat I would throw at that is I kind of expected Joe Wall to slowly steal the net as the year goes on, and that's mm. what's happening. So I think that it's like, yeah, that's the script I kind of expected to play out, and I think we're seeing it happening. To your point, like it's entirely possible Samsonov finds something after the deadline or who knows what it is, you know, maybe this illness, whatever he finds something later on in the year. That's entirely possible, but I think this is this was, in my opinion, the most likely. It wasn't the most obvious or anything like that, but the most mm-hmm. likely roadmap for the Leafs goalies. And honestly, I think it's Because it was thing, the most optimistic, well, too. that's it. It's the thing. If you're selling yourself on this could be a year, a big part of that has to be Joe Wall. Because I think as much as we like Samsonov and we saw him, he was good enough for this team to win a series last year. I still think a lot of people have a hard time imagining. It's not that you're going to get the goaltending good enough from him because I think anybody says, oh, that goaltending from the first round, you go win a cup with that. The problem is, is just the, and albeit it's a smallish sample size we've had with Samsonov, but it's just, can you imagine him doing anything for two straight months right now? Because that's kind of what it takes to be that goalie in the playoffs, right? Uh, Leafs need all the saves they can get because they've now played a league high, seven consecutive one-goal games. Mentioned it. They're the Vikings of uh, their last year's Vikings of the NHL. Yeah, that's bad. It, that's, well, just for the record, that's bad. I mean, it would it would portend for badness next season, right? Like, can't you get through a whole season? Although the, yeah. I mean, the Vikings did. Uh, they lost to the Giants in the yeah, playoffs. They're, Vi- they're the Vikings. Uh, just anybody, any Vikings fan who heard like, oh no, it'd be bad next year. It's like, how do you think the season ends every year? Yeah, it, it utter would, heartbreak. Yeah. <laughs> it's like they had digs down the sideline. Yeah. It's been nothing but agony since. Um, it hasn't been agony for the Leafs when they get to the extra session. In fact, by and large, it's been very good, whether it's overtime or a shootout, uh, despite Saturday's loss. But they've also, like I, I said, and like Luke Fox rightly points out, they played almost 45 minutes of three-on-three mm-hmm. hockey, which is a lot. And it's only your top players that are on the ice for, and, for those minutes. And David Kampf. And David, briefly, yeah. depending, depending if, if, if he wins happens. the faceoff, then like for like a second. Yeah, but if he doesn't. All right. Do you buy into the possibility that that, that could be adding significant wear and tear on a team that's done a lot of traveling recently? Mostly because it allows me to complain about my favorite thing ever. And that if you're worried about a team playing too much extra hockey, the idea of having a condensed schedule in you know the rest of your season after you effectively had two bye weeks you know very early on in the year that's what the Leafs had like they like every other team is going to get their bye understand the way it works but 
Leafs have four games coming in that next week that I mentioned there. They're going to have more weeks than that or like that than every other team in the league that didn't go over to Sweden. It's just the way math works. They have to jam these games in. So because of that, I'm a little concerned. I don't look at it as something that's going to be the the thing that kneecaps the Leafs or that we're getting a lesser version of Marner and Matthews and Nylander and Tavares by the time the postseason rolls around because of all the three-on-three that they've played. But yeah, given the jammed up schedule, you'd you'd rather you'd rather not. You'd love a, a stretch where you're just able to take care of your business in in regulation here. And and quite frankly, it's like you know I know you need your loser point there, but it, that's that's the other part of it as well is that you you need these points. You can't even say like, all right, you'd rather they just lose in regulation and not have to play this extra hockey. They need their points. So yeah, a, a little concerning. I don't want to sit here like panicking, ring alarm bells about it or anything like that. But it's not it's not nothing. No, I think it's pretty close to nothing. You think so? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, sure. Is it exhausting to play three-on-three overtime, depending on on how the shift goes? Yeah. Like getting stuck out there. Mm-hmm. and Yeah, that's that's not great. You're skating uh, sprints back and forth. That sucks. Yeah, you, you, Quite frankly, it sounds see, awful. Yeah, you, you can see that it's... But it's a very different game three-on-three, three, obviously. Than, like there's absolutely no physical contact. Mm-hmm. Right, like it almost feels like. Were you talking about this on the air or just off the no, air no. last week? Talking about the the senators, how they they used to do all their their post game oh, interviews no, from the exercise bikes. It's our favorite thing in the world. I pretend well, I'm Wade Redden. Honestly, every show. it just feels like cardio, <laughs> three on three. Like it's it's hockey, and it's it's as close to pond hockey as we're going to get in the NHL over the course of a regular season. It's it's. It's a different deal as far as wear and tear because you, again there is no physical contact. It's it's yeah it's just skating back and forth. Honestly, it's it's like you know it's like a bag skate. The guy we need to ask about this as soon as you said cardio, I said there's only one man to ask about this, and it's Gary the Roberts. king, the king of Leafs cardio. You would think Gary Roberts. Mm. That's a pretty good guess. Uh, Arizona Coyotes center or left winger, depending on the day. Alex Kerfoot. Mm. We can ask him how taxing it was because. A lot of people would tell you, myself included, depending on the day, he was just playing three-on-three three when it was five-on-five five as well. Just a lot mm-hmm. of skating around, not mm-hmm. a lot of stopping, just mm-hmm. a lot of gliding. So if anybody can get to the bottom of the matter, uh, it's Alex Kerfoot. So I don't know. Luke Fox, next time the mm-hmm. Coyotes are in town or vice versa, there's your source. Well, we'll, t- we'll talk to Luke uh, later today as well. I'll pitch that to him. I've, I've been pitching questions he should ask Sheldon Keefe. I'll now mm-hmm. pitch questions. Tell him how to do his job. No, no, I'm suggesting. Oh. Telling is very different. <laughs> Telling is very different. Suggesting? It's totally fair game, yeah. I think. Yeah, I'm yeah. going to tell myself Yeah, that. as long as you package it as suggesting. Yeah, definitely. Oh, man, I have so many suggestions for my wife, like, all the time. Oh, like, I, I got I'm, great suggestions. I'm happy you said your wife because I thought me. No. I thought you were like, oh, buddy, suggestions? I got tons for you. No, I don't have any. You want to go full radio consult with me in the break? You're like, I really <laughs> think you need to tighten this up. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> loosen, loosen, loosen. All right, I have uh, lots of suggestions for the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, I'm so, prime among them. Sign Shohei Otani. I'm so curious where you're at in this conversation we're about there's to a, have. There's I know, a lot I, of stuff. I purposely avoided it like Oof. the plague in our pre-show meeting. I didn't want to even tiptoe on a landmine that could be, and not that they're bad, but it's going to be explosive, your, your opinion. So I'm, uh, I'm dying here. <laughs> we'll, we'll step on the landmines. <laughs> Next, Bouncing Betty. Next, as the Fan Morning Show continues, Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
1059 The Fan Venice. Brian Gunning, the 2024 Rogers NHL All-Star Game, expanded to a three-day event. Starts with the NHL All-Star Thursday at Scotiabank Arena, featuring the Tim Hortons NHL All-Star Player Draft, the NHL Alumni Man of the Year, honoring the 1967 Maple Leafs Canadian Tire PWHL 3-on-3 Showcase tickets to NHL All-Star Thursday going on sale tomorrow, Tuesday, December 5th, 10 a.m. Eastern on Ticketmaster. You can catch all the action, including the Rogers NHL All-Star Game on Sportsnet. You can catch all the coverage of the Major League Baseball winter meetings right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And Sportsnet starts today in Nashville in what feels like it's like a biosphere. Have you seen the picture of the, the place? that these... It'll shock you. I have not. Okay, it looks, it's just like a bunch of, it's a, like a world encased okay. in glass. All right, sounds good. Uh, yeah. I, it's, it's like I, little stores and like little streets, but it's it's indoors. Would go. Sounds interesting. Sure. Definitely interesting. Um, It's going to be an interesting week for the Toronto Blue Jays. I would hazard to say, and I mean, this could all blow up in their face, I suppose. It could be a, a big nothing burger. That would be surprising at this point. But this sets up to be, well, one, the most interesting offseason in Blue Jays franchise history, and two, maybe the most interesting week in Blue Jays franchise history. Now, I mean, we all remember 2015 and the trade deadline. I did, for me, mm-hmm. unless you want to go back to the the Alomar Carter trade, which was the most impactful, right? And give it up uh, a guy who's headed in the Hall of Fame, Fred McGriff. Um, I feel like both those guys hit large homers for the Toronto Blue Jays. So, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. The most impactful offseason as far as perception is concerned was the 2013 offseason, right? But the, the big mm-hmm. Marlins trade. Yeah. And, and turning themselves into World Series favorites, according to Las Vegas, and then, yeah, only barely touching 500 after an 11-game winning streak and being just um, a, a huge disappointment the entirety of that 2013 season. So you you can you can you can make mistakes getting overexcited about off seasons, but mm-hmm. for a team that I mean, it's, the difference between that 2013 and this 2023-24. Um, moment in time with this franchise is okay. They Blue Jays only won 89 games. They won 89 games. They made the playoffs a season ago. They're they're yeah. not trying to totally re. They're not trying to remake this team. No, they're trying oh. to add significant pieces to a team that, granted, disappointed compared to expectations, but. Tell the Yankees, tell the Padres, tell a bunch of teams who didn't make the playoffs whether they, or ask them whether they would have uh, switched spots with the Blue Jays, and clearly they mm-hmm. would have uh, They would have done so. They won 89 games. They're maybe more than a few tweaks away from being a team that we expect to win the World Series or be back in that conversation. Mm-hmm. But this is a situation where over the next... Five days, we could be talking about a team being at the center of the Major League Baseball conversation, which they actually already might might be. So there's a couple of things, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, we got to start with Shohei Otani. I would think that's not going anywhere, right? Like there, if you look at the Vegas odds, I think the Dodgers are now minus mm-hmm. uh, as far as being the leading candidate to land Shohei Otani. Yeah. So it's still, I, th- I think here's the way I'm approaching it. And I think this is the way most people who have been paying attention over the last couple of weeks are approaching it. And you tell me if you feel any differently. Sure. That 
it does feel like the Dodgers are the favorites here. So you're kind of like guarding yourself against the possibility mm-hmm. that, yeah, the most likely thing takes place over yeah. the next couple of days, and it's the Los Angeles Dodgers that land Shohei Otani. Mm-hmm. But there's also a part of you that is, with each passing day, of the belief that the Blue Jays are going to shock the world and that they're going to land the biggest free agent fish in the history of Major League Baseball. Nobody wants to hear me say this today, but I, I, my opinion is not wavered. I feel like they have been one of the teams wholeheartedly in the mix, and I think the most my opinion maybe, I shouldn't even say change, but just kind of crystallized on the matter was when we had the report, what was it, late last week, that a handful of teams had effectively dropped out or they're they're kind of not expected to be in the running when we yeah, had the, the Red Sox right. have turned their attention elsewhere right. the Rangers have turned their attention elsewhere so that report kind of crystallized what I was already feeling that I think the Blue Jays are a very intriguing team I think you'd very much want to take a meeting I think they're going to have the financials clearly to sit at the table and make the offer you're going to need to make but I ultimately do think that there will just be enough reasons why to go elsewhere so that is kind of where I've I've sat on this the entire time. That I didn't think there was a 0% chance, but I didn't put it much above 10, 15. And I, I suppose it feels a little higher than that now, but I do still, I mean, like, okay. I, I know, shocker. No, I'm no, no that's fine. That's, I, listen, I appreciate yeah. that you're honest. honest. Yeah. yeah, yep, yep, yep. And I, I wouldn't, like, if we were just yeah. putting money down right. on the table as far as where Shohei Otani is going to go, I'm not going to... First of all, I'm not going to give you even odds. If you're like, ah, I don't think he's going to the Blue Jays, then I'm not going to say, well, okay, 100 bucks each way. Uh, Blue Jays or, or the field landing Shohei Otani. I was going to say, you're a bad gambler, but not that bad. No, 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 not, not that bad. But I will say, okay, so also over the weekend, Hector Gomez, mm-hmm. uh, who is plugged into all things Dominican Republic, mm-hmm. had a, a report, and I don't know if it – if something got necessarily lost in translation, but he had the blue, he said the Blue Jays were favorites to land Juan Soto. Yeah, I mean this was depending on the result of the Shohei Otani negotiation. the The hype surrounding the Blue Jays, one with Shohei Otani and and getting this deep into the proceedings and still being the second favorite to land him, and now the added, the added conversation around if it's not Shohei Otani, it's Juan Soto. We're at a point here where if it's neither, well, like that—that that is that—that's feeling for a team that, yeah, won 89 games, got into the postseason, scored one run, lost both games to the Minnesota Twins. If in fact it's neither of those guys, that's the question I want to ask you, though. Like, what do you think percentage chance is that it's neither? Because it feel, and I understand, you know, there's been some. You know, reporting out there of, hey, 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 hold on. It's, you know, Blue Jays interested in Soto, but far, far, far from from a done deal. Like, what is perception? Because we think about the 180 in perception that would have happened from, you know, a week ago we started to hear the conversations and the noise and the opinion of, honestly, man, you got to give this front office, like, do you have to give them a little bit of credit just for even being in the conversation to all of a sudden – they miss out on that and they miss out on Soto. And I'm not saying that's going to happen. Like I, I think they kind of have to get one of these guys now, but 
can you imagine the 180 in public perception if it's because if you don't get Shohei, I think everyone sits there and they're disappointed. Yeah. But you can't you cannot fault anyone for that. Like that is not a case of not ponying up, or that's mm-hmm. not a case of a presentation going bad. I mean, I suppose it could be, but I highly doubt that's it. You look at it and it's oh. He wants to play in the place he's always played, closer to home for a team with better aspirations, yada, yada. Like, no one's going to fault them for that. But if Soto goes somewhere else for a price that's, you know, for kind of forget what the price is, honestly. Mm. Unless it is a all-time overpay, how is that not going to kind of turn perception of this group? No, it's not. It's not. Listen, the Blue Jays, they, they just want to land one of these guys. They're not trying to hype up this offseason. No. But... As the result of, well, I mean, their interest in Otani in the report now. Yeah, but even beyond that, like, even before this Otani thing became as realistic as it now seems, Jeff Passan a couple of weeks ago talked about the Blue Jays trying to do something big. He did. This offseason. We talked last week about Shai Davidi's report that they're asking for five-year commitments for anybody Mm -hmm. that wants to pick up one of these new premium seats uh, in a revamped Rogers Center. The nightmare scenario, honestly, is... Well, the nightmare scenario is that you don't land either guy, but the secondary... It's hard to call it a nightmare scenario. If you just overpay through the nose, or... If you miss out on Shohei Otani, you feel so obligated to reward a fan base or add a marquee player to, to this core of players that basically as a two-year window, but really only, like I said, a one-year window because you're not going into the final years of Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. with them unsigned, I don't think, that you are forced into a bidding war against the New York Yankees who may or may not be throwing in uh, uh, Michael King into a, a conversation surrounding Shohei Otani, who, granted, was like 10 starts at the end of the season, but looked like a guy Soto. that could like win... Yeah, what did I say? Otani. Yeah, Juan Soto. Looked like a guy that could be like a, a centerpiece at the top of somebody's mm-hmm. rotation for the next decade. That's, I mean, for a team that... Or you could have reclamation project in Alec Manoa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which will... We'll, we'll, we'll... There's, there's so much. Like, it's like, obviously, we have to do Otani and Soto. That's like the biggest... But what if the big, and I know that this isn't the case, but like, what if the big thing they do is just move off George Springer's money? Like, what if they try to use their assets to do something like that? And then they're like, you know what? It's not there. We got to give ourselves the best opportunity going forward because we also had that, you know, possibility from Blair, who we'll talk to late, later in the show. Like, the idea of moving off Springer's money is now being bandied about. And mm-hmm. if you're looking to move off Springer's money, what are you using the money for? Like, you're not, like, I understand you want to move off it because it's nice to have money, but. You're going to spend that money on things. You're not just going to hold on to it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think, anyways. Uh, unless you're the Seattle Mariners who moved off Jared Kelnick uh, at the, the end of the day yesterday. But no, you're, I they like do. The- well, but, you, but again, like if they had Kelnick, then maybe they'd win 56% of the games, and mm-hmm. then that'd be too many, and mm-hmm. it would go against Jerry DePoto's vision. Yeah. His vision board. Um, I think there's a lot of things happening with the Springer report. <laughs> we'll talk to Jeff Blair again, who had the, the report um, over the weekend. The Blue Jays are exploring the possibility. He said it's not at the very top of their list of priorities, but something they're interested in doing. Yep. He has three years and more than $72 million to come. He's 34. Uh, he could be not fully cooked because he was able to, to to salvage at least a league average offensive season a year ago. But yeah, this is a guy that went for, through an 0 for 35 stretch. Uh, and besides that, not fully cooked, but like 
I don't know. We might be getting to like reverse seer status. There's yeah. a little seer on there for sure. Um, but besides um, the 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 lack of production, I think like and we, you know I was doing informed speculation last week on Choi Otani. You did. I think there's some informed speculation that George Springer might not be the best influence in that that Blue Jays clubhouse. Ooh. But I, and I think people who have been watching. Mm, the last couple of years, but specifically this past year. And you know what? Some of the body language stuff during that 0 for 35, um, the not running out ground balls when things weren't exactly going his way. So I think there's a, a, a lot involved in the George Springer uh, potential moving off of three years and 72 million. I also think that's obviously pretty clearly a negative asset and how much of that you'd have to eat going forward. Holy. That's like a secondary thing, though. That's That's, I mean, I don't think you're moving George Springer and thinking well, that no, that's part it, of the reason you're getting better. No, but yeah, attach assets to that likely or, you know, find a way to make the money make sense for another team. And the you can only, in my opinion, start to have those conversations once you know what asset you may or may not have to give up in a Juan Soto trade. So, yeah, definitely secondary, but it's, I don't know, like just with the money involved in that, there's a lot of tentacles. It could go a lot of places. I, I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I mean, like I said last week, going into this season – the mission for the 2022 Blue Jays going into 2023 was pretty clear. It was get more swing and miss out of the back end of the bullpen. Have get more bars in the bo- in the ballpark. Uh, yeah. Definitely uh, needed that. Get a little more serious, and they did those things. I didn't think outfield defense was as much of a priority as the Blue Jays did, but they did that too. Uh, it didn't work out, but you could see the path to to the things they needed to do to get better. Yep. This season... I mean, it's it's obvious what they need to do. They need to add more offense to this team, but the means to do so are not as obvious, especially if it's not Joey Otani or Juan Soto. Mm-hmm. It's a big week for the Blue Jays. Uh, we'll talk to Jeff Blair later on in the program. But when we come back, we'll talk to our pal, Gord Stellick. Gordo. The Maple Leafs go uh, into overtime yet again, uh, lose to the Boston Bruins. The Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.